Thank you, Morgan. Well, if, it's, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we were also in 1 Peter 2.9, and we're in a series called Set Apart, where we're looking specifically at this one verse for the next four weeks. And what you probably noticed in that reading is that there are these four identifying statements. I'm going to read the verse one more time, but last week we were at uh, a chosen race, and this week we're looking at a royal priesthood. If you didn't catch that verse as Morgan read it, uh, here it is once again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. One New Testament theologian calls 1 Peter 2.9 the best verse for the New Testament Christian and the New Testament church on who they are and what they should be doing. It's the best verse on our identity because the reality is, as we looked at a few different phrases last week, but I'll look at just one again this week, is who we are informs what we do. Our identity shapes our activity in the world because for me, I know this to be true in multiple different ways in our lives, but in my life, one way is because I'm friends with Jeff and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? But I'm friends with Jeff, and Jeff and I were, became really close when we lived in New York. And uh, one specific time uh, with Jeff and I, and my identity as Jeff's friend shaped my activity, is he calls me up on a Thursday afternoon. He says, hey, you want to go to a hockey game tonight? And I was like, absolutely I do. And he said, well, we have a, t- a couple extra tickets, so uh, Rena can come. That's my wife. And, and as long as you can find some uh, babysitting for your kids, because we don't have that many tickets. So anyway, so we got babysitting for our boys, and, and uh, we were headed to this hockey game with him and his wife. And, and I was like, okay, so where do I go to get these tickets? Because I really didn't have them in my hand, but I knew I could trust Jeff. So we just did it. So we, we showed up to the Blue Cross Arena there in Rochester, New York. And he's standing over to the side. There's all these security lines of the general entry, but... Jeff just kind of goes, and so I, I walk around the line, and, and this guy looks at me like, what are you doing back here? And he's like, it's me. He's like, oh, okay, and he just lets me through. And we go around this corner to this private elevator, and we get in this elevator. We go to the top floor, and I'm like, where are our seats at? And he goes, oh, we got a box. And he's like, it's, just, it's my company. Don't worry about it. And so we go, and we get this private seating. So private entry, private elevator, private seating. I, I, I didn't belong there. Just because I was friends with Jeff, uh, that was the only connectivity that I had to this event. And we all have been in these moments in our lives where we've found ourselves invited to something or able to go somewhere just because we knew a guy. Or maybe you knew a guy who knew a guy that got you there. It was nothing to do with you, but it was all in your connection to that person that allowed you entry into that location. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, talking about a royal priesthood, this is exactly what he's getting towards. Because in his identifier of a royal priesthood, this is our second identity statement, a royal priesthood. The two words, if we break them down very clearly, is royal is as in relationship to a king. And the word priesthood literally means a group of people set aside for special service. So the reason that the royal priesthood have their identity and their activity is only in their connection to the king. And when we hear the word royals, what comes to my mind at least is 
the UK and the royal family. I've been to England once on a mission trip and, and just a slight confession, I really enjoy not the drama, but the uh, background and learning about the royal family. It's just very fascinating to me with the monarchy and, and how it's a, just such a different form of government than we have for ourselves and how it's just so different from anything that we as Americans uh, enjoy as in life. And so I did some digging around this week on the royals website and I was like, well, how do they get their identity? How would they view themselves? Because they really don't have power in parliament anymore to change laws or really govern. So, so what in the world are they doing there? Like, what is going on in the monarchy? And this is a direct quote from um, the royal.uk's website of defining the monarch. It says this, As head of state, the monarch undertakes a constitutional and representative duties. The monarch has a less formal role as head of nation, the sovereign acts as a focus for national identity, unity, and pride, and supports the ideal of voluntary service. So right there on the UK's website for the monarchy and the head of state, they recognize that the point of the royal family and the point of the sovereign, as they say, the monarch, the one in charge, the king or the queen, is to simply be a representative that the UK has got on to something well in the idea that there are those who are representatives. But where they've missed a little, maybe a lot, is that there are not these just select few people on the earth that we call royals that are called to be representatives. Rather, in fact, Peter says that the entire group of followers of Jesus are all in the royal priesthood or the kingdom of priests, meaning that they have rights, privileges, and responsibilities that all flow out of their relationship to the king. In the same way, the royal family, it's only because of their relationship in bloodline to the king or the queen that they have power, that they have representation rights or anything, but rather for followers of Jesus, it's our relationship to him as king that calls us and invites us in to the royal priesthood that Peter picks up on is our identity and our activity. But this identifying statement doesn't start with Peter saying it in 1 Peter 2.9. It actually is a theme throughout the entire arc of Scripture. And so we're going to take a quick flyover of Scripture starting at the very beginning in Genesis. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures or in the Sky Bible on the screen, you can follow along with us there. And we're going to start in Genesis 2.15 where the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, is what we're told in Genesis 2.15. To work it and keep it. Those words literally mean to serve and protect or serve and guard. Biblical scholars look at the garden of Eden as the first template for the temple. That the design that we're told that the garden of Eden was designed, actually the temple later in scripture is taken from that template. That the Garden of Eden is the first temple garden that many scholars like to call it. And furthermore, Adam is given the directives of the duties that the priests are given later on in the book of Numbers. The perform his, what he is called to do before God and before people is the exact same words used to the priest. And God furthermore expands in the book of Exodus this phrase to the kingdom of priests. That after God rescues his people from the land of slavery, from the land of Egypt, 
His identifying statement to them is that they are a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19.6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That once they are saved because of the activity of God, they are given a new identity. Because of what God has done on their behalf, now they get a new name. And the same is true for us. But let's fast forward and look at the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, these are the directions that the priests are given in Numbers chapter 3. It says this, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set before me Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. Verse 7, They shall keep guard over him and the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. And they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Those bolded words, those four bolded words in Numbers 7, 3, 7 and 3, 8 are the exact same original words that Adam was given in the garden of Genesis 2, 15 to work and keep the garden. That they're called with the same original directives that the first man is given. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are given these directives too. Who are they? They're the priest. What are they to do? To serve and to guard before the Lord and before the people. They are called to serve God and serve other people. That's the role of the priests in the Old Testament. And so for us, Peter is picking up on this for New Testament Christians and saying, you're all royal priests. You're all called to serve God and serve people. So ultimately, a royal priesthood is a people of service. It's a people of service to serve what is need to be set apart to be a people who serve and carry forward the original design of serving and keeping God and his people. And this is picked up through the prophets. One more Old Testament reference, then we'll jump in uh, to our text today of 1 Peter 2.9. In Isaiah 61.6, after God is telling them that despite their difficulties, despite their trials, he is going to be the one who's keeping them and working them and and ensuring that they uh, become all that he has set them out to become in spite of the other nations around them seeking to devour and destroy them. He says this, he says, you shall be called priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. That that is who you are. You are priest, you are ministers of God to him and to other people. That the royal privilege and the royal power that they possess as followers of the one true God has its relationship from that from the fact that they have relationship with God. It's not how special they are. It's not because of anything they did to deserve it or to earn it, but it is in spite of that. It's because of what God has already done on their behalf, and then he commissions them into ministry. Ministry. This brings up a, a slight rabbit trail of a question that you may have that I asked of myself as I was studying, that, well, aren't all people made in the image of God? Isn't this designed for everyone, all of humanity, not just those who are followers of Jesus in the beginning. And the reality is that the Bible calls all people made in God's image, and the original design for all people is to be good representatives of their God. But to be a follower of Jesus is to display him to other people. And some of us are better at that than others. And some of us have a better uh, display of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus than others. 
And just because someone isn't a follower of Jesus doesn't mean they're not made in God's image, but they may be a bad reflection. But the design of us as royal priests, if meaning us being followers of Jesus collectively, is we're all called to display God to him and to other people. But yet, even if we are followers of Jesus, that doesn't just assume that we're doing what we're called to do well. Because all of us have room for improvement. All of us can follow Jesus more closely than we were the day before. And this isn't a legalistic or rules-based. It's just the reality that our call as image bearers to, is to reflect who we are imaging, who are we are reflecting, and that is Jesus himself. And at the end of the story, at the end of the Bible, that we're reminded three times in the book of Revelation that we are a kingdom or a royal priesthood. But look at every time John, the writer in the New Testament, John, every time he says this phrase in Revelation, he always ties it to something else. Look at it with, with me. When they, all three of these will be very quickly that I'll read them. It's in verse, chapter 1, chapter 5, chapter 20. I'm going to read three different verses together. It says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. In verse chapter 5, By your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Chapter 20. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of our God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Each and every time John uses this in chapter 1, chapter 5, and chapter 20 in the book of Revelation, he always ties it to the finished work of Jesus. That we get our identity from the finished work of Jesus. You and I, as, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you have your identity of royalty, not from anything you did, not from anything you deserved, but only because of what Christ has already finished on our behalf. So don't hear it like saying that we have room for improvement to be legalistic, because like, no, you could never earn the finished work of Christ. But the reality is, is we don't work for grace, but we work from grace, that we have been granted to us undeserved favor because of Christ. And because of Christ, we are called royalty. And because of Christ, we get the opportunity to serve God and other people and tell them about what our God has done. And so what is our activity? What is our activity in light of our new identity? What is our new activity? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'll answer it for you. The first in the activity is that all followers of Jesus act as priests in individual offering. That may be a little wordy, but I, I chose each one of those words intentionally. That all followers of Jesus act as priests in individual offering. That we act from our identity as priests in the way that we offer ourselves individually. That if we are all priests, if we think about what it meant to be a priest in the Old Testament was to enter into the presence of God to offer a sacrifices. That we, in New Testament Christians, as priesthood of believers, there's no more sacrifices that we could offer to atone for our sins. Christ did that on our behalf. 
But Paul picks up on this idea of a Old Testament sacrificial system in Romans chapter 12. And he says, but there still is a sacrifice that could be made. Verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers. This is Romans 12. Therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That what is the role of the Old Testament sacrificial system in terms of earning your salvation or covering your sins? Nothing at all. It's been paid for. Jesus covered that. But the reality is that there is still this role that the Old Testament idea of offering can play. And Paul says the idea that it is is that we offer it to God because it's his. And so what do we offer? Ourselves, Paul says. That our role, that uh, other theologians, they call this the priesthood of believers. That we individually all have ultimate access straight to God the Father because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That we don't have to go through a mediator, through a, a preacher or a priest or a prophet or a bishop. We don't have to go through those. If you want to pray, you don't have to come to me. You can pray on your own. That you have access because of the finished work of Christ straight to God. And we appeal, Paul says, verse 1, by the mercies of God to present our bodies, our whole selves, as a living sacrifice to Jesus, to ask him, he says, how should I serve you today? I'm your royal priest. How can I work? How can I serve? How can I do the keeping that you've entrusted to me? Because the reality is, is that in us being the offering, it means that our Christian Christianity is not just a set of ideas that we're to ascribe to in knowing the right things. That would be selling it short. And it isn't just a feeling where we come and we get led in this amazing worship once a week to be stirred up to feel better about the week ahead. That's selling it short. And it's not just the moral high ground that we can stand on because we serve the community every now and then and you know, we, we act, we're active and we, we serve with our hands. And so is it just a set of beliefs in our head? No, but it's not, not that. Is it set of feelings and emotions that we love God with all of our heart? Well, not just that, but it's, it is that. And is it connected to our hands in the sense of we go and we serve and we love people? Well, it's not just that. It's all that. It's belief, affection, and action. It's head, it's heart, and it's hands. That Christ doesn't want just one aspect of your life. He wants all your life. He wants all your head, all your heart, and all your hands, all your activity to be offered up to him. As a living sacrifice, Paul says. And that opportunity is for us all individually. That you can act as a royal priest in your individual relationship with Jesus, asking him the question, where can I go next? And second, number two, is that all followers of Jesus act as priests in service together. So there's this individual aspect, but there's also this body that we're all together in doing this. And there, our identity as Jesus followers, as the royal priesthood, notice this is a collective term. But all the priests literally have one job or one goal that they're pushing towards is to serve God and people. But they may all have different responsibilities, but the goal is accomplishing the one thing. It's to serve God, serve people. And Peter is even more clear 
on what the goal is because he gives us four identity statements with one goal at the end. Let's look at the verse together. We looked at it last week in this way. We're going to look at it again. But you, in 1 Peter 2, 9, are a royal priesthood. And look, I cut out these other statements. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That the role and identity of royal priesthood is so that we can proclaim the fact that we are the ones called out of darkness, out of our sin, and into his marvelous light. So how does this work? Well, Paul would pick up on it in Romans 12, 4 in this way. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. That just because we may be different from others, be gifted in different ways, that our uniqueness is best found and expressed in our identity in Jesus and in connectivity to the local church and in the body. That Christ has designed each and every one of us with different skill sets and different functions. Just like our bodies have different body parts and different skill sets and different functions, that is why Paul picks up on this idea to call the church a body. That we have all different body parts and the ways in which they can serve and work and keep and protect is very different. In the same way at your jobs, that there's different job responsibilities, the same is true even at a greater level in the church. So what does it mean to be a kingdom or a group or an army of priests? What's to work and to keep? To, to serve in all the ways that we may proclaim the wonderful works of Christ. So the question is not, is if you're part of the body, if you're called journey home in a variety of ways, the question is not, is should I, but where and how? The question isn't, is it should I serve, but it's how can I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I serve them well and honor Christ in all that I do? And I'm going to admit here, to make this super practical for us, as we wind down this sermon today, as we grasp the idea of royal priesthood, I'm going to limit this application just to our body here. That every single one of these, of every single one of these statements, all four of them, could be taken internally and then expanded all the way out to the nations to go across the globe. But I'm limiting this one just to our local body, local context, as local as local gets, Journey Church, okay? Just making that aware. And the reality for all of us is ministering to our body is three purposes. It's number one, so we can reach people not yet here, pass on the faith to the next generation intentionally, and number three, each one of us, as we serve, we grow spiritually. Because you cannot be a Christian who does not serve. You become a stagnated pond. That if we're just intaking, 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 we will become stagnant in our faith if we're not pouring out in a way. So what you probably noticed when you came in the building today is there were five tables out in the lobby that are different ministry areas of our church. And that these are different ministry areas that we've intentionally highlighted. These are not all the ministries of our church, but they are five that we've intentionally highlighted where you can easily get in the game and start serving if you're not already. I'm going to walk through them, and then we're going to look at how each one of us uh, could serve, not by me on the stage, but by actually out there. And the reality, what's amazing about all these is, if there's couples or family units, 
Each and every one of these areas you could serve together as a family and as a unit, almost every single one of them. There's a few exceptions to that rule. But what's really amazing is couples could serve together and uh, moms and dads and, and teens, you could serve together in these ways. Parents and guardians of teens, did you know one of the top predictors of spiritually healthy young adults is how often they served in their local church while they were in junior high and high school? That's just a, a side conversation, but uh, the commercial's over. Back to the sermon. All right, so the ministry tables. There, there's five of them out there. What are the ones out there? Well, the first one is in kids' ministry. And kids' ministry is birth through sixth grade. We've already highlighted it here this morning. But let me break some misnomers. I was a guy who said I'd never be in kids ministry and actually end up serving for three years as a kids director. And there's multiple different facets of more than just being a small group leader that kids ministry needs kids volunteers. You can serve in check-in to make sure that the processes and procedures are safe and keeping kids safe. You could be a small group leader, a large group Bible teacher. You could serve in tech. You could lead in worship. You could help during the week prep rooms in a variety of ways. And the same is true in student ministry, which is 7th through 12th grade. You could serve in a variety of ways on love on students and pour into their lives to pass on the faith to the next generation. And God is moving in a powerful way in our family ministries in kids and student ministry. The third is, is, if, is in uh, worship and arts and production. And this, we want to recognize that there is a creative and a technical side to this ministry. That this means you could be on stage or in the sound booth or midweek actually planning and designing what happens. Whatever your gifts, we desire that you exercise them and function them in the body. And the fourth is connections. You could serve in the parking lot, at the entrance, the coffee bar, the welcome desk, or follow up with people throughout the week to make sure they know they're loved and cared for here at Journey Church. And the fifth ministry area is the safety team. If you have a background in medical, military, or police, we would love to uh, exercise your gifts and talents in that way. Because the reality for each and every one of us, as we put into practice what the Holy Spirit has implanted in each one of us, there's all these gifts of the Spirit that we're told. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and other places. All these gifts that God has entrusted to us, our role is to put them in play. And out there at the, the tables, at the end of the service, when we say amen, there's going to be key volunteers and staff at each one of those tables that would love to talk with you about getting involved and invested. And there's no better time than right now. And if you're curious, just go ask. You're not committing to anything. You're not like signing up to serve next Sunday. Just go and express interest in those different areas and see how you could start serving. Don't just consume, contribute. I would love to pray for us and then we're gonna close out our service so that you can do what I'm asking you to do right now. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus and all the ways that you have equipped us as your royal priesthood because of the finished work of Christ because of what you've done on our behalf. We could never earn it. We don't deserve it, but we're grateful for it and for the opportunity to serve you well in our relationship throughout the week and serve each other. And we ask that you would continue to move and stir our hearts of how you're leading us and guiding us each and every moment. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.